I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All right. This afternoon, our Torah portion is Kaye Sarah, which means the life of Sarah, and is taken from Genesis chapter 23 all the way to chapter 25, verse 18. But I'm going to actually open up with a renewed covenant passage, Luke chapter 7. So if you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, that's kind of where we'll begin. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verse 11. Now this is one of these accounts, these stories that only take place once in the Gospels. A lot of times you'll have the same story told in four different ways because of the four different Gospels. This is one that was left out of all of them except for the account in Luke. And so, you know, there maybe Luke heard this from Peter or heard this from one of the, you know, apostles that was really close to the Lord. But I'm glad this is there because in John 21, 25, there's so much we don't know. There's so many things that Yeshua said and did that we'll, we won't know until we get to heaven because it says in John 21, 25, there are so many other things which Yeshua did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books which were written. So, you know, at least he wanted us to know what was in the four Gospels. At least that's the hardcore stuff he wanted us to know. I can't imagine the other stuff that he said and did that we won't know until we get to the other side. But hopefully I've given you enough time to turn to Luke chapter 7. Starting with verse 11, it says, The next day Yeshua traveled to a town called Nain, and coming along with him, were his disciples and a large crowd. Just as he came near the town gate, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, a widow. Consider a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said, Don't cry. Then he came up and touched the coffin, and the pallbearers came to a standstill. He said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began speaking, and Yeshua gave him to his mother. Fear took hold of them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has appeared among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him spread throughout all Judea and the surrounding regions. So again, this is the only account that we have in the Gospels of this story, and this poor widow woman who only had a son. I mean, she was a widow. Her husband was gone. So the only person that was taking care of her was probably her son. And now he up and dies. They didn't have welfare, government assistance. So this lady, it was probably a death sentence for her. It would just be a matter of time before she died because she had, no, she had no means to take care of herself. So no wonder Yeshua had compassion. you know. And maybe Yeshua was thinking of that time when he would be on the cross. And he would have to give responsibility to someone to care for his mother. And he gave that responsibility to John. But what, what, what a fantastic story. This, this story takes place in Nyan, which means prophet and or beautiful pastures. 
So the connection that we have with this account in Luke, we have with our Torah portion for this week in Genesis chapter 23. This is called the life of Sarah. And this Torah portion begins with Sarah's death, and it ends with Abraham's death, ironically. So in Genesis chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Now Sarah's life was 127 years, the years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Now, there's kind of an interesting predicament, an interesting problem here. It says that Abraham came to mourn Sarah, which means Abraham was not with Sarah. Where was Sarah? It says that she was in Kiriath Arba, which means the city of four. And Kiriath Arba was actually named after one of the Nephilim, after one of the giants who had four, uh, had four sons. And so it's Kiriath Arba. But what was she doing there? What was she, was she doing in Kiriath Arba? Because actually, where was Abraham? According to Genesis 22, 19, <coughs> Abraham was living in Beersheba. That's 50 miles away. That's about 50 miles away from each other. Does that kind of surprise you that Abraham and Sarah were split up? Something had come between them. There was an irreconcilable difference that caused them to say, okay, let's, they didn't get divorced, obviously, but they felt like they needed some time apart. So Genesis 12, uh, 22, verses 1 and 2, kind of gives us the answer to why that uh, split took place. So in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham... Hineni, which means here am I, he said. Then he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'm about to tell you about. Okay. So, according to tradition, Sarah found out of Abraham's intentions to sacrifice Isaac, and she just couldn't handle it. I mean, husbands and wives has disagreements all the time, but when you come up and when you find out, hey, you're going to murder our only child, uh, yeah, that's kind of grounds for splitting up. <laughs> so she couldn't take it. She left, according to tradition, to Kiriath Arba, and there she was living as a childless widow because she knew that Abraham would do whatever God said. So there was no question about what Abraham's intentions were. Now, we don't know how Sarah found out. According to tradition, uh, Satan disguised himself as some sort of servant or some sort of old man and told exactly what Abraham was going to do, and she just, she just couldn't take it. She couldn't bear it. Now, it makes me think, how many couples divorce and separate after they lose a child? I've seen that over and over. And so we kind of see the same thing happen here, but Satan is a liar. John 10.10 says that Satan comes not only just to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his M.O. That's his, he hates us so much, he wants to steal from us, he wants to kill us, he wants to destroy us. And he'll do that by whatever means necessary. And he'll do it in the most excruciating, slow, agonizing way. He just doesn't want to be merciful and do, do us away quickly. That's too kind. You know, he wants to cause us as much pain and distress. So whether we know this legend is true or not, 
it would make sense why she was living in Kirithaba and he was living in Beersheba. And she was living there kind of as a childless widow. Uh, so if we go to chapter 22, verses 5 and 7, we read, Abraham said to his young men, sit yourselves down here with the donkey. Now here's just another tradition. We don't know who these two young men were, but according to tradition, it was Ishmael, his other son, and it was Eleazar, his trusted servant. Sit yourselves down here with the donkey and as for me and the young man, we'll go over there and worship and return to you. Now, Abraham has told some pretty big fibs in the past. He said, well, Sarah, she's my sister. It wasn't really a lie. It was a kind of a white lie. It was a lie of omission. Well, she is my sister. We have the same father but different mother, <laughs> right? But he passed her off as just his wife. So do you think Abraham was lying here? I don't. I think, he, I think he really believed, okay, God, if you, you said Isaac's my promised son. You said that, that through this promised son that would come from me and Sarah, that there would be numerous, countless peoples and tribes and et cetera, et cetera. So he's like, the only logical explanation I can come up with is that you're going to allow me to kill him, but you're going to allow me to watch him rise from the dead. He believed in God and had faith in God that much. So it says... Verse 7, uh, no, verse 6. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son. Uh, in his hands he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together, which means they agreed. They agreed with what was going to go on. Then Isaac said to Abraham, uh, his father, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And it's interesting what the Hebrew says in verse 8. In the Hebrew, it literally says, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. You see how that sounds? He himself will be the lamb. And we know Yeshua is God in the flesh, and he is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So that is, kind of sets up the prophetic pre uh, precedent for what Yeshua was going to do. So we see some foreshadowing here. So it says, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now I want to... You don't have to turn there because I know I do a lot of turning. But in Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 11, verses uh, 7 through 19, we read, By faith. Now, faith is kind of an obscure word. Uh, sometimes in other translations it's translated as belief or trust, which I can see the parallel, you know. Uh, so Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He had faith in God. It says, By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Yes, he who would receive the promise was offering up his own, one and only son, the one about whom it was said, through Isaac's offspring shall be named for you. He reasoned. In other words, Abraham kind of put two and two together, and the only logical answer or conclusion that he can come to was that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. And in a sense, he did receive him back from there. So Abraham believed Isaac would be okay. Sarah, according to tradition, according to legend, didn't have that type of faith. You know, she didn't. So, um, you know, she thought, well, my life isn't worth living without my son. And how many parents who lose a child just give up on life afterwards? And they just kind of die a slow, lingering death. They die of a broken heart. And literally, you can die of a broken heart, according to medical science. So 
that's what the rabbis believe is that Sarah actually died of shock. She died of a broken heart because it says now Sarah's life was 127 years, the years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Now we get something about Sarah in Hebrews chapter 11, just the same as we did Abraham. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, says, By faith, by trust, by belief, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. When she was barren and past the age, since she considered the one who made the promise to be faithful, so from one and him as good as dead was fathered offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as uncountable as the sands in the seashore. I think it's kind of ironic that Sarah had enough faith that God could revive her dead womb. I mean, once a woman's reached menopause, that's it. No more eggs, no more babies. You know, and, and it even implied that Abraham wasn't able to, you know, conceive either. He was barren of seed, so to speak. But yet she had enough faith that God could revive her dead womb, revive her, her dead husband's ability to, to reproduce. But she didn't have enough faith that God was able to raise somebody from an ash heap. And I can see the problem there. I mean, I can't see my womb. I can't see inside my body or inside a woman's womb or anything. And so those mysterious things go on that we can't see. So sure, God can do it. Out of sight, out of mind. But when you see a pile of ash, do you really believe they can be reconstituted into a human body? That's a little bit more harder to believe because you're like, no, it's burn up. How in the world? But Abraham literally believed that that's what could happen. Sarah kind of had that lack of faith. <coughs> so Sarah believed that God could resurrect a dead womb, but not raise Isaac from an ash heap. So the question I want to pose is, have you lost faith when it absolutely looked like everything was over? Have you lost faith when you absolutely thought everything was over? Now go back to our initial text in Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 11. The next day Yeshua traveled to a town called Nain, and coming along with him were his disciples in a large crowd. And just as he came near the town gate, behold, a dead man. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I mean, I, I've, I've talked to missionaries who've seen it. There's been some missionaries who's, who's has seen people raised from the dead. Now, the best thing that I can tell you is I've seen a blind man get a sight, but I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. Dead is dead. It's pretty final. There's really no coming back from that except for the power of God. A dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. See the connection to Sarah? I mean, she, she didn't claim Ishmael as her son. Her only son was Isaac. It came from her body. The only son of his mother and a widow. And we see Sarah acting like a widow because she split from Abraham and decided to live in Kiriath Arba, 50, about 50 miles away from Abraham. All because, according to legend, that Satan said, your son's going to die. And he probably went into excruciating detail. You know what Abraham's going to do, Sarah? Yeah, Abraham's going to walk in, take him a three-day hike up this mountain. And once they get there, he's going to tie your son up. 
Not only is he going to tie your son up, he's going to strip him down naked. He's going to bind him on this, on, this, on this rocky altar on top of splintered wood. You know what he's going to do next? <laughs> he's going to take a knife and slit him from ear to ear. Blood's going to gush out and he's going to die. It's not going to end there. He's going to split Isaac down the middle and cut him into several pieces so he's easier to burn. And he's going to sit there and watch him until he's burnt to ash. That's what your husband's going to do. <laughs> Somebody told you that, 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 that your spouse was going to do that to your child? You'd probably want to leave too. But if that legend is true, Satan is a dastardly booger. He's that sly old fox. So we, we see here the connection with Luke and with Sarah. So this, this woman had an only son, and she lived as a widow. And it says, a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And I mean, he would, because he knew that this woman, she probably wasn't going to live too many years longer. She would either starve to death, or she would go into slavery because she couldn't pay her debts or her bills. Everybody who took care of her was gone. Nobody to make decisions for the property, to upkeep the home. He said, don't cry. Then he came up and touched the coffin. Okay, you know what Yeshua did right there? It's no big deal. We, we, we go up and touch coffins all the time. But Yeshua made himself ritually unclean, which means he couldn't go to the temple until he went to a mikvah, until he immersed in water and went through this ritual of ritual cleansing. He made himself unclean on behalf of this woman. Then he came up and touched the coffin, and the pallbearers came to a standstill, and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began speaking. Okay, if somebody, if there's a dead man that kind of raised up, you might think, oh, well, that's just, you know, reflexes. My dad used to, uh, ride, you know, uh, run a hearse, and he remembers one night that they picked up a body from somewhere, and uh, they went over a bump, and that corpse sat up, <laughs> scared him half to death. So, you know, set, sitting up wouldn't be a big deal. You could rationalize that away. But when the young man spoke, it was no mistake that this, he was back to life. The young, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began speaking, and Yeshua gave him to his mother. So this widow seemed resigned. She resigned herself to the fact that her only son was dead. And if the Lord had not raised him from the dead, she may have died of a broken heart, as the legend says that Sarah was. Um, so, verse 13 again. Then the Lord saw her, and he felt compassion, and he said to her, Don't cry. If only Sarah could see through Satan's lies and to see the truth. And a lot of times in our life, Satan will whisper to you in a bad situation, how, how are you going to pay your, your, your rent? You don't even have enough money for groceries. You just forget about it. They're going to repo your car. They're going to shut the lights off. It's wintertime. You can't afford to get your lights shut off. And he'll just come up with this doom and gloom scenario. And if it's not your bills and it's not your lights, it's going to be the next thing that comes down the pipe. Oh, we're going to get locked down again. Oh, we're not going to be able to buy and sell. Oh, they're going to initiate the mark of the beast. Oh, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And then your imagination runs wild. And you get all scared and fret because who you wanted to become in political office didn't come in. Oh, no. You know, I don't care who it is. They're not my savior. I don't care what political party it is. They don't truly represent me. I don't care. I don't care who's in control. 
God is in control. Amen. Not somebody wearing a blue shirt or a red shirt. Not somebody who's from the, the liberal or conservative. It doesn't matter. You can watch the news and get yourself into a nervous wreck where you have to take some Ativan to calm down. I just stopped watching the news because it, I don't care. It doesn't apply to me. I drew my line in the sand and I said, I know how I'm going to live. I know how I'm going to act when this certain thing happens. And I'm not budging. They can do whatever to me. Find me, jail me, kill me. I don't care. I'm going to be happy and live my life because that stuff don't matter. Yeshua says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He didn't promise that you're going to walk in a field of rose petals and it's going to be a picnic and a cakewalk. He says, no, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. We know who the world overcomer is, so we don't have to worry about anything that those jarheads on the news has to tell us. I don't care. It doesn't matter because I'm going to live my best life in the spirit and with the Lord because I don't care and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to enjoy my wife I'm going to enjoy my my daughter and son-in-law I'm going to enjoy the fellowship of you guys my brothers and, and sisters in Christ I'm not going to you know believe the lies of Satan because half the things they say on TV and half the things that you hear never come true anyway it's just to get you all scared to believe a lie and what if Sarah said, no, Satan, I'm not going to believe that lie. There's no way that, 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 that God would, would allow uh, my, my husband to slaughter my son. And if he did, then he must going to be raising from the dead because that's who the promise is going to go through. Same thing with Jesus, Yeshua. He's the promised one. When he was dead in the ground, his disciples were in the upper room. Oh, no, what are we going to do? You know, we're next, guys. You know, we're, we're part of this conspiracy. You know, the, the Romans are going to think that we're, we're revolutionaries and they're going to come after us next. And the doors were locked. And Yeshua rose from the dead and he came through those walls and said, Shalom Aleichem, guys. Hey, peace be unto you. It's not, oh, death is not the finality of things. And whatever deaths we experience in this life, in this world where it seems hopeless, we don't have to resign ourselves to the fact that it's over. God is either going to birth something new or he's going to raise something from the dead. Either way, he's going to fulfill his promises for us. So in verse 14, it says, Then he came up and touched the coffin, and the pallbearers came to a standstill. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. And I want to kind of compare that to what it says in Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 through 14. Eleven through fourteen. But the angel of Adonai called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, Hineni, here am I. Then he said, Don't reach out your hand against the young man. Do not or do nothing to him at all. For now I know that you uh, that you are the one that fears God, who did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a ram just caught in the thicket, thick bushes by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, as we sometimes say. As it is said today, on the mountain, Adonai will provide. Sometimes I pray, Lord, I got a need. I need you, uh, Jehovah, I need you to Jireh for me again. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I need you to provide for me. So we see that there was a need. This guy was dead. And clearly this widow needed her son to live. And clearly Abraham needed Isaac to live or the promise would have been gone. So just as this, this young man from Nan was raised from the dead, Isaac was as good as dead. And the Lord stopped him before he actually slit his throat, provided a ram, provided a substitution. And now in Luke 7, 15, the dead man sat up and began speaking, and Yeshua, Yeshua gave him to his mother. So in 22:19 it reads, Then Abraham returned to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba. Then Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Now where was Isaac? It says that Abraham returned, but Isaac didn't return. The scripture has a lot of mysterious things if you really pay attention. And the rabbis have answers for it, whether it's true or not. You know, this is legend because it's not in canonical scripture. But according to, you know, extra biblical literature and the rabbis, they say that immediately after this, that Abraham went to Beersheba. But Shem, Noah's son, and Melchizedek, which is Melchizedek, still alive. And so he was the one that was closest to God because he was closest to Noah and closest to Adam. So it's, it's a legend has it that Isaac left to go live with Shem to, to learn the ways of God because he was going to be the next patriarch after Abraham died, right? So he, he needed to know everything. So that's according to legend. And so when Abraham came back without Isaac, that took, may, may have been further comp, com, confirmation to Sarah that, okay, he's gone, you know, because she had already split and went to Kiriath Arba. So uh, I said, uh, in my notes, I say, where was Isaac? He couldn't return to his mother. She was, she was dead, according to legend. She, she died of a broken heart. So he went to study uh, at the feet of Shem, a.k.a. Melchizedek. So I want to close with these two scripture verses. And I know this happens to be somebody's life verse, somebody's favorite verse. For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So no matter how bad it gets in our life, circumstances, bills, whatever, Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So we may not fully understand why Bert and Carla's transmission went out, but it's for the good. Hey, they got, an, they got another vehicle. And then they still have this one. They just got to fix it up. And then they'll have two vehicles. It works out for the good. And it seemed like a hopeless situation a couple weeks ago. What are we going to do? We need a vehicle. We got to take Kayla to her uh, doctor's appointments and all this kind of stuff. But it worked out. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Our hope is in the Lord. And our Lord has the ability to raise from the dead. So there shouldn't be anything that, that we get distressed or, or been out of shape about. Because our God can do the impossible. And then Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. We, have some, we can hope. And our hope is a sure hope. It's not this hope that we're like, ooh, gee, I kind of hope this will happen. It's a hope that we know it's going to happen. We just got to wait for it. So it says, rejoice in hope. And then it says, be patient in tribulation. Oh, that's a hard one for me. 
because it sucks being in tribulation. But it says, be patient in tribulation. What does James say about that? For the testing of your faith develops patience. And let patience have its perfect work. So rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So Paul said in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. So constantly bring these things to God. He's not going to get tired of hearing your prayer. Prayers are powerful. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So guys, don't believe Satan's lies. He's going to lie to you every single day, tell you that it's hopeless, that it's not worth it, that it'll never work out, that you always get the short end of the stick. You're just cursed. You're born with bad luck. God doesn't care. I can go on and on and on. Those are the lies that Satan has. But through this Torah portion and through this passage in Luke, we see that God is a God of comfort. He says, don't cry. Don't be afraid. He can resurrect the dead. He can make an impossible situation work out for our benefit. And if it doesn't work out the way we want it to, that's okay. God knows better. Because I know I have in my head how I want things to work out, but that's not all the way it always happens. And I got to say, you know what? God, he, Father knows best. If it didn't work out the way that I wanted to, it worked out the way he wanted to. And so that's good enough for me. And I may not be totally happy with God's choice or decision for my life, but I know ultimately it's for the best. Because he works all things together for good. And he wants the best for us. And sometimes he allows us to go without a little bit to teach us some lessons, to strengthen us, to develop our faith, whatever. And so we just got to trust him and trust that process. But the thing is never to give up hope. Rejoice in hope. Let Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. All right. But the word of the Lord endures forever. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Heavenly Father, I mean, this is one of these messages that you need to constantly be bringing back in our memory and playing in our hearts and our minds on a loop because it's so easy to get down and discouraged in this dark, dreary, doomed world. And no matter what we go through, we know that we're going to come out on top. We know that we're going to win. And we know that we'll probably have to endure a little bit of suffering, but it's for our best for our benefit. We just pray that you give us the faith, give us the strength, give us the endurance, help us to see beyond the current situation and circumstance that we're in in our life. We can't see the forest because of all the trees and we're in the midst of things and we just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel and we don't see an, a, a positive end. Lord, you are the light of the world. You are that light at the end of the tunnel. You are the solution. Help us to always, no matter what situation we're in, to have that hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constantly in prayer. Because, Lord, when we're on the other side of it, we can say, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why I had to go through that. And then we can give praise and honor to you for being such a miracle-working God. And you may not cause things to appear out of thin air or, or, or raise the dead like we read in the scriptures. But Lord, you do things that are just miraculous, as miraculous in our life. It just seems mundane because it's buried inside the everyday. 
But Lord, we know that we can't live without you. We know that you are our sustenance. We know that you are our provider. And Lord, we know that even we make some stupid, dumb mistakes with our finances or what have you, but Lord, you still love us and have mercy on us, and you still will watch over us and take care of us, and you will work everything out. So Lord, give us the faith that we need to endure to the end. Give us the faith that we need so that we won't die of a broken heart like Sarah, so that we won't resign ourselves like the widowed woman thinking it was all over, realizing that if you had to, you can raise the dead, and that you will provide for us, that we do have a hope in this life and beyond this life. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.